Welcome to the first round table. Um, my name is Harry. I'm one of the speakers tonight. I'm also the founder of the round table. It was a wonderful idea that we had a long time ago with Aris to bring basically people together in harmony and discuss basically about the state of affairs, the state and the cultural um, backgrounds and all the things that unite us as people in the case there. So it's going to be an interesting discussion, I think, because the Turkish and Greek relations is something that is, is being heavily debated nowadays, especially from political leaders to uh, alliances and, 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 and different units and different media all over the country in the case. They're both in Greece and Turkey. Uh, with me tonight, I have the, uh, well, the amazing opportunity and uh, to, to, to host and have with me one exceptional individual. His names, you might know him virtually as Aris. Other social media, you might know him as Timak. He's actually a lovely gentleman from Turkey. So I'm going to actually extend the floor to Aris to introduce themselves properly, and then we can get started um, this wonderful live podcast, Nekezer. Uh, so, Aris, welcome to the podcast itself. Thank you very much, Aris, for the nice introduction. And yeah, you guys know me as Aris on social media because that's the name that I use in uh, Greece. And uh, my, my actual name that I use in my real life is Timak. And uh, maybe most of you haven't heard this before. Uh, I'm, as you know, I'm half Greek and half Turkish. I am from Turkey, though. I was born in Manisa. You probably know the city. All of you, of course, know it. And uh, I grew up in Istanbul. And I've been living in Athens for the last three years. So... What makes me Greek is, you know, my ancestors having uh, Greek origin and some of them also Albanian and some of them are Turkish. So I am actually a mixture of all these three nations. So uh, that helps me to be objective when we're talking about politics or anything between Turkey, Greece or Albania or whatever. Um, I'm not feeling myself 100% anything, so um, I think I can't just look, it as a third, look at it as a third person, a third eye, okay? So um, that sometimes helps me, that sometimes makes the things difficult for me because when you don't choose a side, uh, it's not easy to um, go on. If I choose a side, let's say that I... I just choose Greece or Turkey and support it forever. It, my life would be probably much easier in Greece or in Turkey. But I don't want to do that. I'm just being myself. I feel I say whatever I feel. So, yeah, that's me, guys. And I'm 31, by the way, if you wonder. And I'm single, by the way, if you wonder. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm actually, it's going to be interesting because this is going to be played back in the recording. So, I'm going to be peculiarly interesting to to see how people will react to that in the case there. Well, Aris, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, Aris and we created the round table um, some time ago in the case there, and uh, we we managed to gather more than 300 live listeners in our podcast, equally from both channels in the case there. So it, it, it was very interesting to have people from Turkey and Greece at the same time sharing their stories and cultural references and basically pretty much discussing about the common grounds that we have as people instead of actually the differences that we have. Now, in, in that case there, Aris, I mean, you've, 
as you know yourself, my side of the story, I am Greek. I was born in Thessaloniki, which is the second largest city in Greece. I'm about 26 years old, and essentially I'm a veterinarian uh, by profession. Now, in ob obviously in this case here, for example, we started the podcast with uh, my friend Aris here predominantly because we wanted to discuss and, and essentially share a different point of view with people who apparently they're mostly heavily influenced in this case here by their state media. And my personal interest in this case here is essentially educating the masses in the case there, because I feel like the more information we receive and the more clear picture that we have about our countries, about our governments, the more educated citizens and more accountable we can be when it comes down to casting our votes in the national elections. Now, in that, in that case, for example, the roundtable is open to everyone. Um, we aspire to have a podcast which embraces and helps people in this case here, and people can join us and, and tune in, listen, share their thoughts, share their news, and make their voices heard. And um, I'm actually very, very happy to, to see that it, it has a good reception. And most importantly, in the case there, we have people joining us and texting us about this one. Um, and about our work for quite some time now. So thank you so much for being a, a vital and essential part of the podcast itself. Now, to move on, in that case here, for example, Iris, I have a, I have a question. So I'm going to interview you a bit in this case here, mainly because I find your work very, very interesting. So you are, you are living in Greece. You have a natural, natural and uh, national background from three different countries, predominantly Turkey, Greece, and Albania. Now. You've been tweeting about Greece and Turkey and other countries in this case here, but you've been tweeting for too long in the case there. So my first question is, how old are you? Old them, I'm 31. Lovely. So take into consideration that you've been a vivid um, member of the Twitter community. In this case here, you've been tweeting quite a lot about Turkey and Greece. My first natural question, which is the same question that the journalist asked, asked me some time ago, is like, okay, so you're... 31, you're a naturally young uh, individual in the case there. Why are you tweeting about this one? Why do you care so much about this subject here? Why do I care about? Because, um, again, it's uh, from it's my nature. First, I was born in Turkey, so I'm Turkish. And I'm living in Greece. And since my childhood, I admired Greece. Uh, Greece. I loved Greece. I loved Greek people, Greek culture, everything about Greece. The same way that I loved everything about Turkey, yeah? So, because it's just, I cannot deny my ancestors, right? I cannot say that I'm not Greek, I'm not Turkish. I cannot just choose one side and go with it, no. Because I have both, both sides in my blood, in my DNA. And what happens in Turkey, though I don't live in Turkey anymore, I have nothing to do with Turkey, guys. I mean, I can just forget about Turkey, okay? Focus on my life in Greece, Okay, though I have family there, I can just uh, talk with them on the WhatsApp, and I, I don't have to speak about Turkey because I, all my life is in Greece now. Okay, and I can just go on easy choosing one side, but I care about Turkey because I care about Turkey because I was born and raised in that country. Okay, and I'm a citizen of Turkey, so I love the country and I love. Greece, the same way I love Turkey. So that's why I care about both countries. And I don't want 
no problems between two countries, okay? Especially politically, especially uh, when these days people are um, discussing, they're talking about war. I am the last person who, who wants to see war between Greece and Turkey. That's why I care about this topic. That's why I'm sharing tweets to, to make people, you know, know each other better. Because what I realized, what I noticed is that, Harris, Turkish people don't know Greek people. Greek people don't know Turkish people. They know, but not the majority. Not the majority of Greek people know Turks. Not the majority of Turkish people know Greeks. Or even culture. We're neighbors. We're so close. We're neighbors. We've lived in the same land for 1,000 years. But these people don't know each other. Don't know their culture, lifestyles, uh, you know, what they think about these issues, etc. They're just being manipulated by the politicians and media, and they are tended to believe. Majority of people are tended to believe what they see, what they hear from the politicians and what they see on the media. And I dislike this. I hate this. So I want to show them that we have some common ground. We have a lot of things in common, but also have differences. We are not the same. Turks and Greeks are not the same. They are similar, but they are not the same. So I want to show them, you know, the differences, but also lots of common grounds that we share. That's my purpose of making all these posts. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So uh, over over the time in this case here, I've been I've been observing you talk quite a lot in in your tweets, predominantly about. I mean, I'm more political myself per se, because as you might have noticed, I judge quite a lot the Turkish administration in the case there, starting from their internal politics all the way down to the external politics, all the way down to essentially how they play a pivotal role in the current um, affairs between Ukraine, Russia and EU and the NATO in the case there. So I, I make more of political posts myself. I I trigger some, some people. Now, what I've observed basically from my post is predominantly the fact that whenever I criticize the Turkish administration, it seems to be uh, taken personally. So, for example, I might criticize the government, which this by no means is a racist or targeted uh, post towards the Turkish population. So, I, I guess my question, Nakezer, is that I, I notice and I observe the influence that my post can have, Nakezer. Like, for example, a very, very accidentally, but at the same time, interesting uh, test that we did. Uh, remember the map that you showed me the other day with the Greek names in, uh, or at least the, the, yeah. tell me more about the map itself. I, I presented a tweet which contained basically uh, the Turkish cities in written in Greek, but also cities that they have a Greek influence or heritage in the case there. So talk to me a little bit more about the map itself in the case there. Sure. That map simply shows the names of the cities in Greek and the and majority of those cities were founded by Greeks. So uh, they all are written in Greek alphabets, but not all the names are Greek. But if you look at the western part of Turkey, you will see that all those names of cities are in Greek. The reason is that they're either just um, called 
after a Greek commander or something, or Greeks founded the city and named it. But the rest, if you go to the eastern part or uh, southeastern part of Turkey, you will see the, the, the city names coming from derived from other languages. Okay, so there were lots of um, civilizations that lived in, in Anatolia. So, yeah, it's not all Greek, but the, the uh, map itself shows the Greek names of the cities and most, uh, the, um, not most, but the, the majority of the cities in western part of Turkey are again on that map that you can see on that map are mm. in Greek, the names that we use today, I mean. So I don't care about the names that they had previously. The, the purpose of that, that map was, again, that they took it, the special nationals people took it that they, they got offended. But look, I'm talking about this the the name that you're using today. Let's say Izmir. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm talking about this. It is Greek, Smyrna. I don't care about the uh, the uh, previous names of Smyrna. I don't know if it had a previous name. Probably it had, but the city Manisa, Magnesia. Again, it's in Greek or the city. Istanbul, Istimpoli, as you know, it's also derived yeah. from Greek. So the city uh, Edirne, Adrianopoli, is in Greek. So the main purpose was the names that we use in Turkey today, the city names that we use in Turkey today are actually Greek names. It, I don't try to prove anything. I don't try to, uh, you know, use this as a political tool or, uh, you know, I don't, I don't try to have an influence on people like, hey, you're Greek or, uh, hey, you're living in a Greek city. No, it's just a cool information, isn't it? Like knowing what, what is the origin of the city that you were born, what the origin of the name of the city that you're living. It's something cool, I think. So lots of people, lots of people text. When I first published that, when I first posted it on Twitter, it was the majority was just positive comments or uh, they were just wondering, oh, can you tell me uh, what is the Greek name of my city? Or uh, what, what, what um, is this city's name come from? Can you tell me this and that? It was all positive, but it was long ago. It was like six months ago or something, hmm. the first time that, that I published it. Then you tried it again the other day. You tried it again, right? Uh, uh, one week ago or something. The reactions was just opposite. It was all mm. negative. Mm. They, took, they got offended. The same people maybe, but they got <laughs> offended. Yeah. So, so the interesting part shows the, the... How, how politics and media have influence on people. I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you my experience on the map itself and. Uh, quite frankly, apologies as well for the interruption. As you know, this is an internet podcast in this case here, so we're not publicly live. So I could actually, you know, stop you. But um, um, I, so I, I took an inspiration by your work, right? And I used the same map in the case here. Now I accidentally it stopped, but then you know, as we were speaking about it, I thought, okay, what about if I pump up? the numbers in the case there. So I took the map that you shared in the case there. I don't I don't know how exactly I can share the map so people can see what we're talking about. Um, I need to actually check that out. But in that case, if you can help me, that'd be great. So 
essentially what I did was that I, I posted the same original content in a case there, simply from a completely different Twitter account, right? My Twitter account, my small population of people who uh, view the, uh, the actual post itself and then uh, I talked about it. So I, I posted the map and I titled it as in the original names of Turkish cities. And then I said 90% originated from Greek. Now that blew up. It blew up. It got way much more attention than I wanted to get. It, it in fact, it, it received more than 1,000, um, likes in the case here. Uh, 575 retweets, 339 different comments and threads. And it was quit, uh, tweeted massively in Turkey. It became basically Turkey's most tweeted tweet, I guess, in the case there, and most debated tweet. Now, it, it gathered about 788,000 impressions with 62,000 engagements, 6,174 detailed expense, more than uh, 5,000 um, and something profile visits, etc. So, what do I, did I gather by that? Was what I did basically, well, correct? Well, information-wise, no, because it was tweaked. And I, I, I talked about this, uh, essentially, about it, because um, o- over the past time, as you might know, Iris, I've been engaging actively with Turkish population who've been talking about this uh, for quite some time in the case. And we, we, we've been talking basically about, um, essentially, uh, the Turkish relationships and the Greek relation in the case. So we're essentially jumping into the bone of uh, this podcast. So I, I post this one and I noticed that, you know, even though that we were pretty much sharing the same content, the, um, the massive amount of, <laughs> uh, let's say, approach that I received in this case, and the massive amount of people who basically tweeted and talked about it was actually huge. And then I made another fun post. I said that, okay, well, I said, this is interesting. Let's try another one. And I posted the second one with a picture of Baklava, which was like, a horrible baklava in its essence in the case there. And I posted a picture and I said, baklava <laughs> originating from Greece. <laughs> Obviously, some people started getting the joke in the case there because they knew that I was actually joking around. Some people didn't get the joke in the case there. And that was basically the funniest thing ever because I was thinking, I, I had so many discussions with people and I was like talking about them, about Cassius Belly. I was talking about them essentially about the threat of war that exists between the two nations. I talked to them about what is happening in the Aegean at the moment and how, you know, there is international law that uh, every country uh, abides to. And we, you know, Turkey has been abiding to international law and talking about it for quite some time. And, you know, the impression that I got by many Turkish um, individuals in the case, it was actually the fact that, okay, in case they said, Greece finds any type of resource in the Aegean, they should be sharing it with us 50-50. And I was like, this is interesting because I made a fake post about baklava, right? And and baklava, why is not the That's not originating from Greece. However, though, if Turkey cannot give us basically a virtual win over, you know, the origin of baklava or some cities in Turkey in the case, I mean, how can you imagine possibly sharing or Greece sharing their own natural resource with everybody else in the case Especially, I don't know, with Turkey, when there is an actual casus belli implemented now. So I'd like to actually dig into that for a moment, Aris, and I need your personal approach about casus belli itself. So essentially, you read more Turkish 
state news media than I do. Is that correct, by the way? Yeah, I do. I do watch Love Turkish it. media. I do watch Greek media. So Both. now we're going to be talking about, and what I want to approach in this case here predominantly is, is essentially the current state of affairs between the two countries. And, you know, what better... A way to to approach that than asking somebody who's actually interested in both sides in the case here, and you know he's interested predominantly in the story that both Greece and Turkey has to say. So essentially, to dig into that, what is your personal opinion about the current state of affairs between Greece and Turkey? So from one side, we have Erdogan, who's actually constantly threatening to go to war. Then we have the um, the the the, op- the opposition in Turkey in this case here are also trying and, and pushing Erdogan towards uh, a potential rapture between Greece and Turkey. So what do you think about the current state of affairs between the two countries in the case there? And let's talk about it for a moment. Well, that's my personal opinion about that is uh, obvious. Look, uh, next year, the first thing that I, I want to say, and please remember this, guys, next year, and when you, when you talk about Greek-Turkish relations, you cannot just ignore this fact that next year there will be elections in Turkey and in Greece. Keep this in mind. Okay. And I remember my childhood, okay? Like, let's go back to 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. I don't remember these kind of discussions. We, we had no, not even one discussion about the the sovereignty of the Greek islands. I don't remember this discussion. I'm talking about sovereignty. So I'm not talking about the islands uh, having the military or, you know, the weapons and everything. Uh, they've been there for a long time, by the way. It's not something new. But that was also never discussed. Because my landowner, for example, 53-year-old guy, and he did his military service in one of those islands. Imagine. Like more than 30 years ago. So there have been soldiers on those islands, always. But it was not a problem because both countries know that they both are actually doing some stuff against Lausanne, that treaty. So they were good with it, okay? Unless someone attacks each other, it was all good. They didn't make it, they didn't just make it a problem. But when Erdogan just noticed or realized that he's losing votes and he's not going to be elected. He came up with this idea of blue homeland because you know you, you must keep nationalist your nationalist uh, walls, you know. So he wants to he want he doesn't want to lose those people and he needed to come up with an idea and he chose that. Blue Homeland. We didn't know about Blue Homeland 10 years ago. What was that? That was not even discussed. Never, there's never been discussed in Turkey. I don't remember it like 15 years. There's a guy who came up with this idea, God knows how many years ago, but nobody cared about it. But when Erdogan understand, understood that he's going to lose the elections, then he just came up with this idea of Blue Land and then come up with the you know, uh, sending vessels to the Eastern Mediterranean, that's just showing off, by the way, not doing anything, not finding anything, just showing off, just show off power, that's it. Hmm. But, okay. you know, so I think, I think 
Mitsotakis is also using this in his advantage because he is also gathering nationalist was this way. Oh, okay, you're gonna threaten me. Okay, then I will show my people that I'm always ready, strong. Of course, by the way, I agree with that both countries must always be ready, okay, uh, for anything like. Uh, in case someone attacks, okay, be re ready to defend, but never attack. That's well, that's my position here. So, Mitsotakis mm. always says that we are ready to defend whatever it costs, okay? He is saying that, and people feel proud of him here, like, oh, he's a leader, he's a, a good, good leader that we want finally. So, he's also showing them that we are ready. He gets the nationalists, was this way. So, he's mm. using. What Erdogan is doing is as an advantage, and Erdogan is just doing the same thing. And he is saying that, he is blaming Greece, saying that, oh, they're just buying up all the weapons and soldiers in, on the islands, they're going to invade us. Everybody knows that Greece will never invade Turkey. Ouch. Okay. It's not Ouch. possible, okay? It's not technically possible. It's not possible in military wise. It's not possible. It's a, Greece is not a threat for Turkey. Everybody knows that. It's the second biggest army in, in NATO. Okay, we are talking about Turkish army. So Greece and, and Greece doesn't have such an intent, though. Greece doesn't want to do that. It's not a threat for Turkey, and it's never been. And Turkey was the same until Erdogan came up with the idea of Blue Homeland. When you say that, when you, try, when you open uh, the sovereigns of the islands to discussion, sorry, that's a problem. That's, that's, that's an attack now. So uh, you are frightening the other side, saying that you're going to invade, or you, you have uh, right over those islands. Sorry, Greece has no rights over Edirne. Greece has no rights over Istanbul. You have no rights over any... Greek islands, that doesn't make sense. But this this will bring some votes, you know. This will bring mm -hmm. some national votes, and that's why he is doing. That's that's my position between two countries. That's what I think. And both both uh, politicians, like both leaders, Mitsotakis and Erdogan, are now using it as an advantage to get votes. Well, uh, this is this is my personal view on the matter itself, um, because I've been I've been very vocal about the current affair, um, both inside the country and outside the country. Now, currently, I mean, th there seems to be a political change in the tide uh, of affairs in the case, and predominantly, I've been I've been seeing quite a lot the importance of real of of Greece in this case as a geopolitical partner in the region in the southeast in the case are being levied by well, I mean, European interests, first of all, but also by national interest in the case there. Now, under uh, under no circumstance can I disagree with the fact that uh, naturally there is a weaponization of pretty much everything that these two political leaders and administrations can use. Starting with immigration, for example, which is one of the biggest, uh, well, situation currently in the Aegean with Greece and Turkey playing ping pong, but using, in this case, your immigrants as a ball. Um, moving on to the rupture and the actual clash within the uh, within uh, within Greece, in that sense, there as we see a completely different approach between the left and the right wing, 
and uh, we we see a an opposition increase in this case here which appears to be completely incapable of actually uh fighting or gathering votes or people around it and uh naturally speaking when it comes down to political advantages mitsotakis has a huge political advantage not because greece is a much more stronger country absolutely not even close in the case there but because in this case here there are a lot of parties that share the same sentiment and share the same interest as greece currently for example so i i, I do see this kind of change in the tide and personally i'm not gonna lie to you uh, i consider all options possible in the case there yes of course we've been talking about um the potential rapture or we're, we're, we're talking about the political climate in greece and in turkey in this case here but we never had such rhetoric before the, the countries had previously problems with one another but it never got to the point that we were actually threatening one another with war on a daily basis in the case there and I, I was thinking about i mean a few reasons why erdogan might risk a war between greece and turkey in this case here and potentially the outcomes would be absolutely astronomical for both countries in the case there because in the end of the day it, it's not just soldiers who are going to risk their lives for interest in the case but it's also absolutely the economical um issues that they're going to rise about this one i mean the inflation rate on, on turkey the previous week was about 170 percent now in that case for example there, there are few possible reasons as to why erdogan might risk a war in the case there and i talked about this and I stated, for example, that perhaps Erdogan's personal frustration with the currently enhanced power and visibility that Greece is getting in the international arena might push for a potential escalation in the case. And I think that the Turkish administration currently with Erdogan behind the wheel, they do seek and they do want to actually have an escalation in the case there, or they do hope that an escalation might be provoked in the case there. Now, that, that is also because there is a huge desire in both countries but predominantly in turkey at the moment for an electoral boost as well so for example in this case here erdogan might um, might use the turkish constitution's ability to postpone elections under the premise of threat of war in the case there between greece and turkey now at the same time it seems that there is a general climate of self-confidence in turkey regarding the outcome of a confrontation be between Greece and, and them in this case here. So, for example, in this sense, the political climate in Turkey bears a strong resemblance to the US, to the United States um, climate before the 2003 invasion of Iraq. So, for example, many Americans at the time viewed Iraq as an overripe threat to Middle Eastern security. And there was a huge, similarly, palpable sense of Turkish exasperation and impatience when it comes to Greek matters itself. So back in the day, I remember that with Washington's approach to Saddam Hussein's in around 2002, in this case, there, there was a strong sense of optimism. And it seems like in this case here, the same thing is happening with Ankara in this case here, uh, resembling and bearing a huge optimism when it comes down to potential conflict with Greece, which they believe that it will be a short, decisive, and most certainly victorious win for Turkey in the case there. Now, I've been observing at the same time commentators in Turkey who generally share Erdogan's belief that the interventions in, intervention, sorry, in Syria, Nagorno-Karabakh, 
Iraq and Libya have demonstrated Turkish military prowess in the case there. And with the insinuations of bigotry in American news back in 2003, in this case here, uh, prominent Turkish commentators have described as well Greek competitors as inherently weak or emasculated. And it seems to be a, a pattern here. It seems to be basically a situation which keeps repeating itself. Now, in short, if Erdogan absolutely chooses to go to war, it may be because, like many others, he believes success is assured in this case here. And I, I predominantly think that when it comes down to history, like, for example, historical events, well, historically speaking, Erdogan has shown that he is willing to bear the consequences of his actions, no matter what the pressure or the external pressure is. And those actions, they usually are in the expense of the Turkish population in that case there. For example, with the invasion of Cyprus, which is a great example, in my opinion, where Erdogan considered this tactical move to be Turkish victory over the blocs that sought to essentially cause harm and distraction to Turkey. With the invasion of Cyprus, we, um, or at least if Erdogan believes in this case here that as, as he has previously mentioned that America is the enemy and not Greece in the case there, then he's likely to see the risks of a potential rapture as painful, but essentially the price to be paid in the name of Turkish national security in the case there. And it's, it's not, you know, the first time that we see a national leader in this case here, uh, or an autocrat like Erdogan, in my view, for 20 years he's been the president of Turkey. So the first time that we see somebody with that kind of power, in this case, you change the constitution to so he can remain in power. So to close this short analysis, Aris, I believe that a rupture between the two countries is highly unlikely for many, many reasons. But because I, I mean, agree with that. Polls have shown that more than 64% of Turkish people in Turkey currently, they don't believe that there is a hostility between the two nations. And the same goes for Greece at the same time. They don't really believe that there is hostility between Greeks and Turks regardless of our huge, rich cultural background in the case there. However, though, what we have here and what is predominantly dangerous is, is not what I think or you think or we think about one another as people. What, we, how, what Erdogan has actually taught us, in, in, both in Greece, but also in the EU, is that he's quite unpredictable when it comes down to his personal convictional power. So, I mean, I remember him when he, he, he came... Um, a couple of years before, uh, during the, Tsip the Tsipras administration, where we had Syriza in the country. And he started talking about the Treaty of Lausanne. He said that, okay, so we have a treaty in Lausanne. Uh, apparently, he didn't mention all the points of Lausanne in the case there. But he said, we should actually discuss for a deal in the Aegean outside the treaties, outside the international law. And ever since then, the actual overflights have been intensifying over Greek territory. But also, you know, Greeks are doing the same thing. They have to retaliate in some way in the case there. So with the current establishment, Aris, how confident are you that perhaps in this case here, or maybe in the case here, we might have confrontation over the AG in the case there? There will be no uh, war. That's what I said since the beginning of this discussion. So I said that no, there will be no war. Um, it's a it's not impossible, but it's a very unlikely thing, okay, for these two countries go into war. Sure, 
Um, I remember, let me tell you how this all started. So when you said that uh, he visited Greece, he spoke with um, Tsipras, the leader of Syriza. Uh, I remembered one thing. So this all started, there was a guy in Turkey, Ahmed Davutoglu, uh, former prime minister of Turkey. Okay, uh, you probably heard the name, Ahmed Davutoglu. That guy uh, met, met uh, Tsipras in Izmir. They ate Yevrek or Kuluri, as we say here in Greece, together. And they, they were talking about building um, um, high-speed train between Thessaloniki and Istanbul. And they were talking about the ferry uh, between Smyrna, Izmir and uh, Thess Thessaloniki and also Athens. So they were playing all this. Then the guy was pushed to resign. He was forced to resign by Erdogan because he was doing something against his policies. Um, but it's internal things. It's not. It's not nothing to do with Greece. Actually, it's it's nothing to do with his uh, policy against Greece. But it was more about what was happening in uh, Erdogan's party. Okay, Ak party. So. They kicked that guy out, and then Erdogan made a, a puppet, uh, which is called who is called Bin Ali Yildirim, prime minister. And then Erdogan came up with the laws and treaties being, uh, it's sort of the Greece is acting against laws and treaties, and he said, um, let's go uh, and discuss this again. We need to uh, just simply redraw the borders and everything. He came up with that. And then he even got further and said that uh, the, uh, the stories of islands are open to discussion now because they are militarizing the islands. It all started those days, like seven, eight years ago, I think. I don't exactly remember, but... Like, this is not an actual issue, guys. This is not an actual problem. We don't have... I problem. This is something artificial. This is something started by Erdogan. We did not have these discussions before. Uh, like like ten years ago, we didn't have any discussions about that. Yeah. So what I think is that's why I don't believe that these countries will go into war. I think that Erdogan is just using this as a tool again to just to be just to keep. Um, his power and just to be, you know, elected again by gathering the nationals. What's or another scenario is that, and that's why I say there is a little chance that they can go into war. He may use this as a tool to postpone the elections. He can either start a civil war or just declare war against Greece before the elections. So he can just postpone the elections and remain on the power. That's what I think. So this is the only scenario where I think where they can go into war. Okay, But other than that, I don't think that there is a serious problem there. There's nothing to um, worry about war. They're just going to uh, threaten each other and after the elections, uh, it will slow down. And uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, it will settle down. Uh, we will uh, go back to the old days. 
I, I like for a moment how you said there, yeah, they there might he might start a civil war, but then you said maybe might start a war with Chris in the case that he can remain in power. But anyway, I don't really think that that's going to be the case in the case. That, that was actually funny. <laughs> but the guy, uh, the guy is just unpredictable, unexpected. So you cannot expect what he, he can do, okay? But naturally. Well, well, I the, don't the, agree the fact that you said, look, if he if Erdogan took, it, granted, took a victory against Chris, granted, he would have attacked so far. He would have attacked uh, Greece already. Believe me, uh, he doesn't believe that he will be victorious, or he's just not serious. Either well, I mean, naturally, naturally speaking about this one, to be fair with you, I, 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 you know, I mean, Erdogan has actually started war with many, many countries, right? But what the difference here is that Greece is a much more organized state in the case. So, for example, we're not talking about you know the same Greece that it was, let's say, a couple of years ago. So, yeah, obviously, Turkey has a massive army. Um, you know, if a war potentially started in the Kaiser, it would be, well, I mean, catastrophic for both na nations, predominantly in the Kaiser, especially because, I mean, war, it doesn't affect only the life. It affects as well the future of the nation. So, it, in one way, in this case, I, I think that it would be naive from uh, of anybody in the Kaiser to come up and say that we don't have a problem here. Because whether the rhetoric is political or apolitical in the case, it's, it remains a rhetoric. And currently with the Russian expansion in, 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 in Ukraine in the case, and with a war in two fronts, essentially, a potential war which has been which which is breeding in the Aegean in the case, or talks about the war in the case, I think it would be naive for anybody to say, for example, that okay, we shouldn't be talking about this one. Or or I think that it's it's not really gonna happen in the case. It's it's just, you know, uh, a an artificial type of conversation that we're having here so yeah that's, I, I think, that's what i believe by the way yeah yeah absolutely I, I don't disagree with you on the matter itself i think that the premise that we're talking about here is that in in a sense in this case here if you notice what happened around the Aegean, the case there um the yeah. ministry of, of foreign affairs in greece essentially they started a huge conversation and they they started basically going from country to country around the Aegean because they they spoke with leaders across every Muslim country in the Aegean that sends there, and and I think that that was basically a a move that happened way in the beginning because in a way this is a situation which in my opinion has been breeding for quite some time in the case there, like in the the first steps that the Greek administration followed was actually. You know, on the seventh of the month, the prime minister got into office. On the seventeenth, he was in the Pentagon, and he he was closing deals with the Americans and the French people at the same time. And on the other end, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Aegean started their own, let's say, tour around the countries there and building good, solid relationships with all the Muslim communities, removing inherently Erdogan's ability to come forward and and complain and say that hey. Look at Greece, this small Western country, which is essentially attacking us um, because of religion in the case. So the, the Greek administration very, very soon and very, very early, they removed Erdogan's ability to invoke a religious claim in this case here. And that was something which I believe that the Greek administration has been you know, working on for quite some time in the case here. And it's something that I've seen 
happening and I've seen working between administrations in Greece, starting from PASOK to Syriza, now to New Democracy again for the second time, that we see that we have this kind of co- constant conversation about this the 12 nautical miles. So Iris, 12 nautical miles, let's talk about it. What are your thoughts about it? Is, is, uh, Greece has right to do it, but shouldn't do it. Greece has right to expand its uh, maritime borders to 12 nautical miles. It's international law. It can do it if you want, if it, it, or if it wants. But what I believe and what they have so far done, done until now is don't do it. Don't do it because your Turkey uh, already the, uh, said that it will be a reason for war. Uh, you know, they declared Kosovo barely. So... Uh, let's not do it. So don't we the don't be the one who provokes. Okay, we don't need it because because we don't need it now. Do we need uh, twelve nautical miles uh, in the Aegean? I don't believe so. So we have lived with the six nautical miles so far. We can go live with it. We can keep living with it. So if it will cause any issues with your neighbor, don't do it. Ah, okay. But I understand that Mitsotakis is using that as a um, you know uh, threat so he can say that I, if i would if i were the prime minister of greece and if erdogan came up and said that uh, sovereignty of the islands can be discussed then i would say then okay then i play the card of 12 nautical miles here you go take it i would say the same to be honest, I, every, all of us would do the same, to be honest, because you have this right by international law, but I wouldn't do it. And Greece should not do it, I think. And it means war. It means war. So we, we shouldn't um, take, this, take any step that would cause war between two countries. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, but I would keep saying that I have this right and I can do it if I want. That's it. It's good to know your rights, yeah, and make them know that you're, uh, make them know that you know your rights, yeah, so uh, they will not be like, oh, okay, because if Greece says that, no, it's not our right to, you know, expand it to 12 nautical miles, but six miles is what our right is, and then Erdogan would be attacking even more aggressively, okay, and using this. And um, yeah, that's why Mitsotakis' position on this one is good. He, he, uh, he, he should keep saying that, yeah, I can do it if I want, but he shouldn't do it. I, I, I think predominantly in this case here, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm using the word predominantly quite a lot. So predominantly, for the sake of predominantly, um, a big... Uh, backlash that the government has been receiving quite a lot lately is regarding their, let's say, no no approach and no action um, in in cred and the discussion that it's been debated very heavily also in parliament at the moment is that okay great I mean we haven't expended twelve nautical miles in the Aegean for because of Cassius Belli and the threat of war so. Why haven't we done the same thing for Crete? Why is Crete not expanded to 12 nautical miles? And the, the government is saying that they're going to implement basically an, an, a, a, a 12 nautical mile 
um, let's say, expansion in the Aegean, the Kaiser, predominantly for Crete mainly, and in the southern flank of uh, Crete. So my personal approach on the 12 nautical miles, I don't think that any country should be compromising in uh, their ability to govern and self-govern themselves, especially when we have a, a really, really aggressive rhetoric coming up from across the Aegean, the Kaiser. And on the other end, in order for you to maintain control over any type of territory, either that being in air or water or even land in the case there, in order for you to, to maintain control over that, you need to actually have the power to maintain and protect it. So you have, you have to have the power to control your own borders in the case there. And I think that the reason why Greece hasn't expanded so far is not predominantly the idea of Cassius Belli. Because in the end of the day, Turkey will have to actually agree to international law. If Turkey doesn't agree to international law in the case there, obviously they're going to be heavy, have heavily impacted economically and financially speaking in the case there. And it is it is atrocious, in my opinion, for that any country which has an EU candidacy and it is a member of NATO in the case there to actually threaten on a daily basis any country with war or, let's say, request more funds in order to conduct war in other countries. So in, in Greece, for example, I think the main reason that we haven't yet reached the 12 nautical line, the Kizer, is not because of the Casus Belli, because that's a right that Greece has in the Kizer, as you said yourself, through Unclos 3 and the Love the Sea in the Kizer. But because Greece doesn't have the logistical power to counter every single attack that they might face in case, for example, Turkey takes uh, a step towards the aggressor. Uh, the aggressor side. So I, I think that this kind of race for military arms is not happening for no reason. I, I think at the same time that the interest here that even though it's geopolitically proven that it's difficult to be built in the Kaiser, it's actually estimated in the Kaiser. And I think that, as you notice, the position that many European leaders and many European administrations had towards Greece and Turkey was pretty much equal distance between this problem. So leaders like uh, the Germans or, or the French in the Kaiser, they maintained an equal distance between the, these two countries in the Kaiser. But that has changed lately. And I predominantly think that the reason why Eastman became once more and once again a heavy conversation and topic currently in Europe in the Kaiser is predominantly because the Europeans are getting cold. And uh, with the problems with Nord Stream at the moment and the bombings of that Nord Stream, they're, they're getting very, very, very cold in the Kaiser. And now the 12 nautical miles become suddenly not just a Greek interest, but it becomes basically a European interest for that to happen. As I think that the problem here is predominantly that... Predominantly. <laughs> I think that the problem here is the fact that Turkey has been playing on two sides for too long. And with Russian and the Russian expansion and the, the fact that they were able to actually go around the, the blockages and the sanctions in the case through Turkey, the fact that we have a country, a NATO ally, who's actually playing good with Russia and the EU, sorry, and the EU at the same time and all that, it means that Turkey is a very, very influential and strong partner, but it has become a non-reliable partner in the case there. That is my personal view when it comes down to the 12 nautical miles. I believe that Greece, in this case, should find a workaround. 
I don't believe that every single island or islet should have a 12 nautical mile because some of them, they're not even inhabited by people. The idea that 6,000 islands in the Gezer with 180 of them being inhabited by people, should all of them have 12 nautical miles, even if they're just like, you know, very, very minor in the case there. I don't believe that, that would be, or that should be the case. However, though, I do believe in this case here that a solution can be obtained and found for as long as there is no threat in between the case there. I find it very, very atrociously difficult Absolutely. to tell you basically that, hey, you know what? I don't want you to expand and take one more room in this case here because I'm going to actually shoot you in the face. And the threat of war in the case there is basically something that it shouldn't be ignored by any side in the case there because it is an active threat towards a European member, towards a fellow ally, towards a NATO country, towards somebody that you share and you are heavily economically impacted from. Because let's not forget that Greece and Turkey, they are very, very economically dependent on their tourism. They're very, very dependent on their um, uh, sea trade in the case there. And most of the trade be, can, is conducted by water in the case there. So let's not forget that this is going to have a huge toll in 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 terms in financial terms of investing because a war doesn't impact only human lives it impacts as well financially a nation and of course investors wouldn't go to a country that is getting bombed in the case there right unless if you're Elon Musk and probably you might do something like that but in other words in the case there I think that the 12 nautical miles even though it is something that Greece can obtain at any any time it is not something that Greece will willingly do in the case there predominantly because they don't have the infrastructure and the logistical power yet to maintain and protect every single inch of those 12 nautical miles in all of those 6,000 islands and islets in the case there. And... Um, with Italy. Well, yeah, obviously. You know, I mean, there, there are basically um, precedents where Greece and the, 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 the external influence of Greece has actually impacted nations in the case there, right? So uh, absolutely, they, they found a common ground with the Albanian government. They found a common ground in this case here with the Italian government. They found a common ground as well with the e uh, exclusive economic zone between Greece and Egypt. So obviously, the, the external pol uh, you know, policy that Greece is following is actually very, very strong in this case here. And that is impacted not because Greece has more friends than Turkey. In politics, there, is, there are no friends or enemies. They are common and mutual interests, and they're basically interests that are not mutual and common for both nations. So, absolutely, it's not like America just woke up one day and decided to make Greece a superpower. That's not the case. But in between Greece and, and Turkey, in the case there, the Turkish administration has actually failed their own people. They failed the dream of the Turkish people. Predominantly because they're influential, but they're not absolutely necessary. They're influential, but they're not absolutely reliable and that is something that we see it happening with the with the way how Erdogan is actually ridiculing themselves on a uh, daily basis so to summarize in the case there and to thank you as well Aris we reached an hour in the case there so we're about to close the podcast in the first episode Aris any final words before we conclude uh, thank you very much for giving me this chance, Harris, and thank you very much for all the uh, people here. Uh, yeah, that's all that I can say, actually. And please remember that we have elections next year, guys, in both countries. 
and uh, don't take these issues very seriously. Don't take it. Don't make it problems. Okay. Don't make it problem between Greek and Turkish people. Don't take it as this, because uh, I don't want this politic games to affect any of our relations between people. Yeah. Like, I don't want to lose my Turkish friends. I don't want to lose my Greek friends. And I never reflect this on any of people. You do the same, please. Okay? It has nothing to do with Greek and Turkish people. It's the government's problems. Well, thank you. This was the first podcast and the first episode for the Greek-Turkish relationships and the rise of bots. We discussed the bots right in the beginning and then the Turkish relationships. So thank you so much for joining. And... Uh, See you soon.